This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. They came to faith by his ministry. And so it's important that we stay together because there's no such thing as a long-ranger ministry, a long-ranger Christian. Even in the beginning when God created man, he said it's not good for man to be left alone. Right? So long-ranger ministries and oh, I'm going to go to church and stay church at home and I'm going to do, I don't need church. That's, that's not biblical. That's unscriptural and that's dangerous. Very dangerous. The Apostle Paul, as he was traveling and sharing the gospel, was witnessing God's kingdom being established as more and more people began to believe. The fellowship and family that was created in those early days of Christianity were special, and Pastor Eddie shows us how important it is for us to get together with fellow believers. We'll also get a glimpse at the relationship between Paul and his close disciple, Timothy. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 with today's edition of Running the Race. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and send Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourself know that we are appointed to this. For, in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you, therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we, receive, we rejoice for your sake before our God. Night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Therefore, our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Just to give you a little background, Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. 
And Luke tells us in chapter 17, which gives us the background of this story, that the Apostle Paul, Silas, and Timothy were in Thessalonica for three Sabbaths, for three weeks. And during that time, Paul, as was his custom, everywhere he went, he first went to the Jews because they've been waiting for thousands of years for the promise. So he would go into the synagogue and share the gospel of the Mashiach, Jesus, the Messiah. He shared the gospel using, amazingly, the Old Testament. We forget that, that many of the New Testament saints used the Old Testament to bring people to Christ. And so at this time, the Old Testament, or the Jews would call it the Tanakh, we call it the Old Testament because we have the New Covenant, we believe in the New Covenant, but you say Old Testament to them, it's still new to them because they don't have the New Testament. So the Tanakh is what they had. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, they were not uh, completely written, nor were they canonized together in the new, with the other New Testament books. And so... The entire New Testament books, of all the New Testament books, 1 Thessalonians is probably considered the first book written or either the second. It was written around 50, 51 AD, about 18, 20 years before, uh, just after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. So it's only 20 years since Jesus resurrected that this book was written. And so Paul goes into Thessalonica and he preached the gospel of Christ. And it tells us that some of the Jews were persuaded because he went to the Jews first. However, a great multitude of devout Greeks and a few of the wives of prominent men believed that they joined Paul. And that's how the church kind of started. Now, three weeks, three weeks is hardly enough time to disciple or train up someone, a new believer in the faith, let alone send them into ministry. For those of you who have been in, in the Lord for some time now, you and I can agree that, you know, we might be 10, 20, 30, or 50 years in the Lord, but we continue to grow in our faith, and we still need each other. We need each other. If we want to live by faith, if we want to grow by faith, we want to continue in faith and stay in faith, then Christians need to live and grow and continue to stay together as a church, as a family. And this is important. This is why it is Paul's desire. You know, these were his spiritual children. He introduced them to Jesus Christ. They came to faith by his ministry. And so it's important that we stay together because there's no such thing as a long-ranger ministry, a long-ranger Christian. Even in the beginning when God created man, he said it's not good for man to be left alone. Right? So long-ranger ministries and uh, I'm going to go to church, stay church at home, and I'm going to do, I don't need church. That's, that's not biblical. That's unscriptural, and that's dangerous. <laughs> Very dangerous. Let's look at some passages. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, Paul writes this, Therefore comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. First Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, Peter writes this, And above all things have fervent love for one another, and love will cover a multitude of sin. He said, Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each one has received the gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, 
25, for those who don't like to go to church, here it is. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as in the matter of some. Some have done that. They've forsaken the gathering. But exhort one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. The Bible makes it clear, and there are many other verses that you find, even with Christ in the Gospels, you find that there is a need that we were to encourage each other so we would grow. And more importantly, when the church is healthy and growing in the Word of God, those who come to faith, those who are new in the Lord, they need to be in the church. They need to be discipled. They need to be encouraged. So the Bible makes it clear that we're to comfort one another. We're to edify one another. We're to be hospitable to one another. We're to minister to one another. We're to exhort one another. We're to consider one another. And above it all, love one another. Okay? So that's how we grow. That's how we continue in the faith, in the love of Christ. And that cannot happen if you forsake the gathering of the saints. That cannot happen if you're not going to church. We are not to forsake the gathering of the church. We're, we're not to forsake the gathering because we'll find, again, some people will say, well, I don't need to go to church. I have church myself at home. That is not church. That is called devotion. If you do have church at home or worship or you pray, that's devotion. Have a Bible study with your family. Have occasional Bible you know, study with friends. But that's not church. You're part of the church. But when we gather together, it's, that's the church. However, as we have already seen, the scripture opposed to those who say they don't need church. And we could find that Jesus himself went to the temple. You read it in the gospel. He went to the temple. He went to the temple. And that's most of the time when he taught. When he was a little child, remember, Joseph and Mary were looking for little Jesus, about 12 years old. Where is Jesus? They lost him for three days. So much for parenting, right? <laughs> but they lost Jesus for three days, and where was he? They found him talking for three days with the Pharisees, and they were amazed at this young kid because he was the Messiah. And he told his parents, don't you know about my father's business? And so it's important to, to go to church. I'm not telling you that as a pastor. I grew up going to church. For me, my life as a kid was school. My father had a hardware store. We went to the hardware store and went to church. That was almost every day. Almost every day. I would say five or six days a week we went to church. And, you know, some people said, well, it's not good, you know. And then, you know, I wanted to play baseball. And my father said, no, no. He said, when do they, when do they have games? Oh, Saturday, Sunday. If they have the game on Sundays, no, no, you're not going to join the team. I said, but God, I said, but, but Dad, I got to play for the Yankees, you know. But let's put it this way, I never did, but I, I didn't come out disturbed. I don't need therapy. I'm doing fine. You know? My wife made, no, I don't need therapy, but I'm doing fine. The point is, uh, it never, if you went to a bad church, I can understand, but that's not all churches are like that. Anyway, and so the Thessalonians, going back to the Thessalonians, they were only, Paul only spent less than three weeks with them. Three weeks. It was enough time to establish their faith and enough, not enough time to, uh, you remember, they didn't have the New Testament, so he did share the promise of the Messiah. They've heard about this Jesus 20 years ago that was crucified, who was the Messiah. He healed the sick, raised the dead, and he spoke well, and he spoke with the authority of God, and so his reputation went around the world, so they knew about this Jesus. And he shared the gospel, but it wasn't enough. And Paul had this concern, and uh, he couldn't stay in Thessalonica, so there was a warrant out for his arrest. Not only that they wanted to arrest Paul, but at the same time, there was an angry mob following Paul. They wanted to kill him. And so 
Paul had to flee, and, and at night they, they sent Paul away, and he traveled to Berea, then to Athens, and that's where he stood. He stood there alone. Uh, he wasn't there with Timothy and Silas. They went their, their separate ways. Uh, we don't know exactly, but later on they caught up. Paul called them, and when he went to Athens, and he said, okay, there's a lot of ministry here. There's so many idols and statues, and so he sent for Silas. He sent for Timothy, and they met him eventually. But during that time, Paul desperately wanted to return to Thessalonica. Paul had a heart, and he was willing to risk it, but he knew that it wouldn't be safe for him nor for everyone else. And so that brings us to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. In our last study, we looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We looked at verses 13 to 20 in dealing with the conversion of the Thessalonians, the conversion of the Thessalonians. That was due to the fact that they received the word from Paul as not the words of men. They received it as the word of God. And it's the word of God that changes people. It is the word of God that gives life. It is the word of God that gives wisdom. You want to be smart? Read the Bible. Trust me. The Proverbs is filled with a lot of wisdom. But not only Proverbs, we only think that we get the wisdom from Proverbs. We get it from all over. Trust me. I wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. But, you know, people say, man, you, you sound smart. You know. So listen, it's the Bible. It's not me. You keep reading the Bible, eventually you'll get this way. You, you see things the way God sees it. And if you see it the way God sees it, that's wisdom right there. In everything in life, in marriage, relationships, raising children, you know, uh, learning how to live in this world, it gives you life. So they accepted the word, not from men, but they received it as the word of God. And the word of God has the power to change life and to give life eternally because it is Jesus Christ who is the word. That brings us to chapter 3. Chapter 3, for those of you who are taking notes, and I am blessed to see so many that are taking notes because I do give a lot of information and it's good to write down notes. It's good so you can remember and, and some highlights. You don't have to write word for word, but you could watch the video, but it's good to take notes. Um, but anyway, here, if you're taking notes, verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3, Paul shares his concern for their faith, his concern for their faith. That's in verses 1 through 5. In verses 6 through 10, Paul gives the good news from Timothy. The good news from Timothy, verses 6 through 10. And from verses 11 to 13, Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians. Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians, and that's in verses 11 to 13. And so we read our text, we looked at the background a little bit, let us study our text this morning verse by verse. Paul writes, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Therefore, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, endure what? We couldn't endure the fact that we left you. You're like babies. You're like toddlers. We could not endure it. And and to Paul, this was deep in his heart because remember back in chapter 2, he described his love for them. In chapter 2, verse 7, he says, you know, I love you as, as, as a nursing mother cherished her own child. And then he said, as a father who exhorts and comforts and changes his own children back in chapter 2, verse 11. And so here Paul writes in verse 1, therefore we can no longer endure it. Paul cannot tolerate the distance from his spiritual children to, to know what they're doing if they're safe. If they, without doubt they would be persecuted because of their faith. Are they going to continue if they're being discouraged or are they drifting away? 
Remember, they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't know how anyone was doing it. The only way, by letters. And by the time the letter got to them, it'll be a week or two, other things have passed. So you can imagine how Paul felt. Paul's strong affection for them resulted in intense emotional pain so much that he declares it again. Drop down to verse 5. Paul re- uh, repeats those words. And verse 5 says, for this reason, when I, he makes it the singular pronoun, I could no longer endure it. First he said we, speaking of him, Paul and Silas, but now he's sharing, this is me. This reason why I'm reaching out to you, this is why I'm sending Timothy. I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't just be away from you and not know what's taking place. So Paul had a sincere, true, genuine love for the Thessalonians, just like a good shepherd, just as Jesus loves the church. He says, therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it be, thought it good to be left in Athens alone and send Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. Since there was a warrant out for Paul's arrest and this angry mob uh, was looking for him as well, he decided to stay along in Athens and, and, and to send Timothy to see how they were doing and to encourage them as well. And Timothy, is, he's like a mini Paul. He's, that, was his, that was Paul's protege, was Timothy. Timothy went with him in all the, the, the missionary journeys. Now here in verse 2, Paul calls Timothy three things, just to describe who Timothy is. He describes Timothy in three ways. Look at verse 2. He says he's a brother, a minister of, the, of God, number two, and a fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. When we come to Christ, we're going to look at him as a brother. When we come to Christ, when we place our faith in Christ, we're born again. We're born into the family of God. Okay? Now, not, you know, we're children of God. You know, the misinterpretation and misteaching that people would say, oh, that we're all children of God. No, we're not. <laughs> we're all God's creation from Adam, out of the rib of Adam, Eve. We're all God's creation in the garden, but when it comes to the cross through the rib of Christ, when that blood flowed, it was water and blood, the Bible says. When a woman gives birth, what's that? Blood and water, right? It's out of the rib of Christ that we are children of God because we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We're born again, not of the natural, but born again in the spiritual. So only those who are born spiritually, born again, are born again, are children of God, and they're part of the family of God. And this is why Paul calls them a brother. And when we come to faith, every single one of us, every single one of us have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. We're born again. We're born into the family of God. We become brothers and sisters in Christ because the blood of Christ is, that, is the blood of Christ that birthed us into that family, into his family, into the family of God. And to God, and listen to this, just to see how important, how serious it is when we say we have a brother and sister in Christ. To God, the family is much more greater than relatives. Now, some of you who love your family, and you should, you need to understand what God considers family. It is the blood of Christ. Because we, we're relative, we're born, right, out of the blood from Adam, right, out of the blood of Christ. You can't tell me that the blood of your relative is greater than the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not. Is not, because that blood that is that blood doesn't give you. That's the blood that doesn't give you life. The family of God is united by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's greater. For example, and back in Matthew chapter twelve, and Jesus spoke on this several times. In Matthew chapter twelve, when when Jesus was speaking to a multitude, a man came up to Jesus. Jesus, 
your mother and your brother, they want to speak to you, but he obviously couldn't get through the crowd. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verses 48 to 50, he says, who is my mother and who is my brother? He doesn't have amnesia. He's asking a question because he's going to give you an answer. And he stretched out his hands towards his disciples and says, here are my mother, my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. I'll take it one step further. At the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, he died on the cross, and he says to his mother, woman, is it a term of endearment as we would say to, to a dad, sir? He's not disrespecting her. He said, woman, behold thy son, and he's pointed to John, who at this time was about 18 years old, and he says, behold thy mother, he said to John. John was the only disciple there at the cross. Now, why did Jesus give John, who's 18 years old, responsibility over his mother. When he had older, he had other brothers, he had siblings, half-brothers, that were much older than John. Just to show you that God trusts the body of Christ when it comes to brothers and sisters in Christ is much greater than that of blood. It is the body of Christ. When we get to heaven, we're going to be brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not because you were related to your you know, some celebrity or some good pristine person or mother and father, just an average Joe. It's because of Jesus Christ. That's much greater. Now, if only every believer in Christ, now listen to me, we all as believers in Christ would love and consider one another as true brothers and sisters, then I believe that the church of Christ would flourish and grow much stronger in faith and in unity. We need to take this seriously. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, he is your God. He's above your mom and dad. You are a child of God through the blood of Jesus. That brother and sister who believes in Christ is also your brother and sister in Christ. So don't, you know, look at, oh, yeah, it's a religious term. Eh, yeah, he's my brother because we go to church. No. You may look at it that way, but that's not the way the Bible teaches it. That's not the way God looks at it. So Peter was a fellow brother, okay? Secondly, he not only was a brother, but he was a minister of God. Now, the word minister in the Greek is diakonos, where we get the English word deacon, and it means servant, to serve. That's what a mess with the word minister means, to serve, Unlike many false ministers today, they love the title. They love to be served and expect to be served. That's not what a minister is. A minister is one who serves people. First to serve God, and as he serves God, he is serving people. Today, we have the term and the office of a minister backwards. The minister is a servant. He is to serve God as he serves the people. Jesus said... In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to minister, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Pastor Eddie Pinero has been digging into the book of 1 Thessalonians with us here on Running the Race. There's much more to learn from this New Testament letter. But our time has come to an end for today. Before we go, we'd like to invite you to visit our website to hear more messages from Pastor Eddie. Head over to runningtheraceradio.com. There, you'll also find a link to our podcast where you can subscribe to receive up-to-date messages each time they're available. 
If you're in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area, why not come be a part of our weekly worship service? We gather each Sunday at 10 a.m. for Bible study, worship, and getting to know each other better. Find more information at runningtheraceradio.com. If you're in a place of blessing due to this radio ministry, and you'd like to know how you could partner with us, we'd gladly accept your support. Here's Jessica to tell you more. Prayers for this ministry would be so appreciated. The opportunity for the lost to be reached over the radio is incredible. So please pray for our listening audience and that what share will alter people's lives forever. Another way you can support us is by prayerfully considering giving in a financial way. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into producing this program, and we're grateful for all who are willing to come alongside us to support the creation of each program. If you feel led to do this, you can find a Give tab at runningtheraceradio.com. We hope you'll join us again next time, right here on Running the Race.